0: Would you join me in praying as we come to our time together this morning? Lord Jesus, as we talk about uh, spiritual conversations and kind of creating that space with people in our lives today, I pray that you would spark creativity in us, uh, that you would, would bring people's uh, names and faces to our minds, that our hearts would be broken, maybe afresh for them this morning that we would take seriously the responsibility that you've given us, that we would maybe have some new paths or inroads or insight into how to carry out the mission that you've given us. You will be with us to the very end of the age. We're not in this alone. And so we trust you this morning to come and speak and lead and guide. So come, Lord, as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about the mission that God has given us. uh, Evangelism or to share our faith uh, with those that God has placed in our lives. But we've been talking about uh, how as culture has shifted, our approach needs to shift uh, to the same thing. We we are called, I believe, to create space to have spiritual conversations with people. We're, We're called to be safe places where people can come and wonder about God, where people can come and ask questions, where people can come and even disagree and know that it's a safe place because we are there to to love them and to walk with them in hopes to share our faith with them. But we've, We've been taught for years and years either invite them into the church and hopefully someone up on a stage will tell them what they need to know or we've been taught read from these cue cards tell them this verse, this verse, this verse, and then say, do you want to go to heaven or hell? And we found people don't respond very well to either one of those approaches. I don't know that they ever did super well, but especially in today's culture, that doesn't work. And so we have to shift our approach to sharing the love of Christ with people. And I believe it's a slower approach. We love the idea of having one conversation with someone. They make a decision to follow Jesus right there, and they're plugged in, and everything's great. But what we see in real life is that everyone's on a journey, and rarely does anyone get to have those one-minute conversations that, boom, they heard it and went, yes, I want that, and they're in. Most often, it's walking with someone through life, creating that space for them to be able to explore what they believe or even what they don't believe, with someone safe that can walk with them. Does that make sense, church? And so I've been reading through this book called God's Space, uh, which is where a lot of this information comes from. This is a book that I highly recommend. I'd love to see some of our small groups going through it. The whole book is a very practical and, as you can see, thin, which is equally important, uh, approach on how do we create this kind of space to be able to have spiritual conversations with someone Always in the hopes of leading them to the Lord, but, but learning to take our time with it, to move at their pace with it. And so as we look into creating space for these spiritual conversations, last week we talked about <clears throat> spiritual conversation killers. The things that if we're not careful of, they can cut the legs right out from our ability uh, to be able to talk with people as we try to create spiritual or space for spiritual conversations what we're trying to do is help people take the walls down the defenses down so that they can truly wonder so they can truly explore where they are and what's true and what isn't true and there were certain things we looked there was 10 of them last week that when we do these things it puts the walls right back up when people feel judged by us when people uh, feel like they're a project of ours and we're just trying to use them to check a box you know there, there was a bunch of these things that put the walls up What I want to talk about today is four different ways that we can move in to help create that space, to help bring the walls down. So we're going to talk about ways to create space for spiritual conversations. On the wall, you're going to see S period, C period. That's because spiritual conversations takes up a lot of room. uh, And so that's the code when you see SC, spiritual conversations. The first way that we're going to look at is noticing your way into spiritual conversations. How do we begin to create that space in hopes to have spiritual conversations, to be a safe place for people. It starts with noticing your way into those conversations. Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, he gives this parable. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. Jesus was trying to tell them, the way you see, the lens through which you view life affects everything. How you view people changes the way that you interact with people. The, are people in your way, or are there opportunities every day? Like he, He's trying to help us understand that if the way we view life and the way we view people is healthy, everything that comes out of it will be healthy. If we have an unhealthy view of the people in our lives, everything that follows is full of darkness. And so we have to ask ourselves, Like, do I even really notice people. When when someone is standing in front of me, what is it that I notice about them? Am I too busy looking at my watch, noticing the next thing I have to do? Or am I really noticing the person standing in front of me? Let's give an example. Uh, There's a, in Matthew chapter nine, Jesus has this crowd of people coming up to him. And it's, it's a messy crowd, Okay, they're bringing all of their sick that no one wants to touch. They're bringing with them. It's it's farmers and peasants. They're dirty. It's sweaty. It's a messy crowd. And here's Jesus' response. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus sees this massive crowd coming at him, and it's the crowd that the city is probably happy to see Exodus. Oh, good, they're gone. Jesus sees this crowd coming, and the disciples have to be thinking, okay, how are we going to feed them? This is going to be a lot of work. This is going to be a long day. And Jesus goes, he saw through the dirt and the mess, the inconvenience, and he said, these people, he noticed, they're harassed and helpless. They're just looking for answers. They're like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't go, oh, man, they ask the dumbest questions. or they, like. He said they have a need. He noticed the need they had, and that's what he chose to look at. So then he even says to disciples, looking at this crowd, the harvest is plentiful. And they had to be like, which one? Them? Are you kidding me, Jesus? But Jesus noticed these people. And he noticed their need. The reason that we do uh, Who Are Your Three that Kim walked us through earlier, the reason we we have those three people and we pray for them regularly is because the things we pray for, we notice. Really, what we're praying for is, Lord, help me to notice these people in my week. Help me to notice opportunities. Help me notice needs and ways that I can serve. It has to start with, Lord, in and of myself, I will walk right past people. Help me to notice them and notice the needs that they have. A great prayer to pray every day. Lord Jesus, as I interact with others today, help me to see them as you do. Help me to have the healthy eyes, the healthy lens to view things through so that the good can come out. Help me to notice people well. Everyone else in Jesus' ministry, as you read through the Gospels, they all walked past the beggars. They all walked past the sick and the lame the poor Jesus always noticed them and he took time for them they were important to him and so he noticed them for many of us we have to start with that idea of do i even notice people when someone's in front of me do i even notice the needs that they have would i be able to like Jesus look at them and go they're harassed and helpless they need to know the shepherd or am i just going how long is this going to take Let's grow up, get through this, whatever it might be. Jesus noticed them. The author of God's Space, Doug Pollock, says this, Noticing is a prerequisite for caring about others and serving them in tangible ways that smuggle the gospel into their hearts. For many of us, if we're going to start to create this space and be a safe place for people, we have to go, God, help me to notice people. I don't even notice them. I am so busy about my stuff in my day that I walk right past them. Noticing is a prerequisite for caring and serving people in tangible ways that smuggle the gospels into their heart, the gospel into their heart. Paul, uh, in the book of Acts, as he walked into the city of Athens, there was no church there at the time. It was just kind of Paul parachute dropped right in the middle of it. And he's going, Okay, I know that my job is to bring the gospel here, but like, I don't know anybody. What do I do? Acts 17, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, just a large gathering of smart people, and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Do you hear the noticing language? For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, he saw opportunity and he was able to go, hey, you have this one statue to this unnamed God. They, they kind of had this one catch-all to worship, going, in case we missed anyone. And he goes, let me tell you about the one that you don't know of. How did he get to that point? How was he able to share with them that boldly? Because he noticed. He walked around, the first thing he did was walk around going, where are they really? What do they really believe? What are the needs that they really have? I see that you guys are very religious, but I can tell you what you're missing. Paul started with noticing the people, and noticing their needs. Is this making sense, church? Again, Doug, the author of God's Space, says, the simple act of noticing enables us to connect with others in authentic ways that pave the way for spiritual conversations to happen naturally. It all starts with noticing. It it sounds so elementary that you're like, do we even need to start here? But the truth is, until we can see a need, we will never meet a need a spiritual need, a physical need, a financial need, whatever it is, until we have the God-given ability to even notice, we will walk right past that person. We won't even know we missed the opportunity. So it starts with noticing your way. And Doug says this, and I completely agree with it. The truth is, I don't naturally care about people I don't know. Noticing requires me to respond first to what the Holy Spirit has allowed me to see. In obedience, I move toward people whether I feel like it or not. They may be strangers to me, but they are not strangers to God. It starts with this idea of going, Holy Spirit, you have to help me notice things. Because being honest with himself, I don't love people I don't know. I won't even look at them on the side of the road because I don't know them. So it starts with, Lord, help me to notice them. And as, it ha- as that happens, now the Lord begins to reveal some needs. And he says, whether I know them or not, what, like regardless of how I feel... I respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit, and I move towards him. Whatever he has allowed me to notice, I move into that space. Does that make sense, church? Okay. These are going to kind of build on each other. The second way to create space, to have those spiritual conversations, serving your way into spiritual conversations. Step one, noticing the need. Whether it's a spiritual need, a physical need, a financial need, whatever it is, you notice the need. The Holy Spirit pricks your heart, and you go, like, all of a sudden you go, man, I never saw them before, but I'm aware of them now. And you have the opportunity at that point. Put the blinders back on and forget about it. Or go, okay, now that I'm aware of it, now what? Now is our opportunity to serve. Just as we saw Jesus do. Jesus was the ultimate servant. Still is the ultimate servant. He came, he said, not to be served, but what, church? To serve. And now as we follow him, we're to do the same thing. Serving our way into spiritual conversations. Theologian William Barclay said, more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world today. By someone that actually just loved them well, not by someone who beat them down and convinced them they were wrong enough, that they went, fine, I'll come to your church. It was the people who actually served and loved them so well that they went, look, I don't know about what you believe, but I want to be around you and people like you. That's where it starts. Again, Jesus in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We should live such lives of service and humility, that people see it and they go, I don't know what it is about that, but I got to get more. Maybe the things they're talking about with this Jesus, look, I've heard this and I've heard that, but I can't deny what I see in their lives. Doug says this, good deeds create goodwill, which opens hearts to the good news. When people see the way we live and love, when they see the way that we serve, the walls will come down, and we begin to have opportunity to speak into their lives. It's not the other way around. Once they start to respond, we go, okay, cool, 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 now I can serve you. Now that you've done what I want, I'll help you out a little bit. I I notice this need in your life. The Holy Spirit has made me aware of it, and I'm going to serve in hopes that it brings the walls down, that it creates that goodwill so that you can hear the best news you've ever heard. And listen, this starts with personal acts of service. You in your own life, in your, in your every day, when you see a need, how do you respond to it? Do you put the blinders on because you're too busy? Even doing good things? I, I think of the, the Good Samaritan, the parable that Jesus taught. He was basically saying, look, the pastor saw the guy laying in the ditch and walked on by. The Sunday school teacher saw the guy in the ditch and walked on by. They were busy, and they had good stuff to do, and so they let the guy lay there. No one would stop and help him. They noticed him and walked by. We 're to be the people who see someone in need and stop and serve. Amen. This is also a, a whole church thing, a whole church serving the whole community. Now hear me, when I say the whole church, I don't just mean every one of us. Here, one of the ways that we talk about the church here in Elkins is there is one church, but there's many congregations. Amen. We are not the whole church. Amen, church. Yes, it's good news. Can we take care of 10,000 people that live in and around Elkins? No. But what if the whole church came together? What if we were partnering with other churches, praying for other churches, going, hey, you guys are doing that, and that's really good work. How can we help you? And listen, every church is going to kind of have their natural bent. Man, we love serving children. They love serving the homeless. They love serving uh, widows and single moms. And, And we go, man... When you put all of these pieces of the puzzle together, it's beautiful. The problem is right now, most of us act like silos. Only what our church is doing matters. And we're, we're going to end up just fighting over resources, and it doesn't work well. Instead of going, you are our brothers and sisters, how do we come together to serve our community well? Because when they see us coming together in service, they will praise our Father who is in heaven. Amen? Amen. There's a pastor, Brian McLaren, who I'll just start off. Brian and I disagree on a whole lot of things theologically, but we would agree on this statement. Talking about being a part of his church, he says, we emphasize that to be a good member of our church, we must get to know our neighbors. We say throw parties, have people over, be nice to the children in your neighborhood, be good to people, be good neighbors. That makes it easier to talk to people about your faith. You know that verse in 1 Peter 3 about always being ready to give an answer? Well, that implies that people are asking questions. So look at the things that it takes to be a good church member in Brian's church. And again, I would agree with him. Throw a party. Oh, man, it's so heavy. How could I? Oh, wait, I can throw a party. Invite people over. Even the simplicity of this next one be nice to the children in your neighborhood going, wait, but, but that's so small. Does it actually really do any good to be a good neighbor, to be good people? Yes. People see that, and it raises questions. Why are they so nice? They invite us over, and they see the way that we interact with our family. It's not going to be perfect, but they see our attempts to love one another and to serve, and they go, that's different than what I've seen before. They see our light And hopefully it breaks down the walls so they can praise our Father who is in heaven. Skip this next part. Go into the third way that we can create space for people to have spiritual conversations. First, we notice our way. Then we serve our way. And listen, these sound so simple. The third way, we listen our way into spiritual conversations. If you ever hope to share the gospel with someone, become a better listener. Sharing the gospel begins with listening. Most of us have seen Billy Graham or someone like that do it at some point that just got up to a podium and just spoke it forcefully enough that people went, whoa, and they're in. Guess what? You're not Billy Graham. Neither am I. There was only one of him, and I don't doubt that God called him to do it that way. But for the vast majority of us, sharing the gospel begins with listening. Until people know that we care, they're not going to care what we have to say. We have to begin with listening. Those spiritual conversation killers that we talked about last week, disrespect, agendas, control, judgment, all of those are the opposite of listening. All of those are telling people what you have to say isn't really important, just shut up and listen to me. And that puts the walls up. But when someone begins to share their story with you, and you are actually... listening they can see that you are interested in them as a person you're not just waiting for your turn to jump in and speak what we've all been a part of that right and you know it immediately we go this person does not care about me i'm just an audience for them but when they listen when they start to to kind of go man that it sounds like what you're saying is this like that's tough the walls come down we go wow they they really care Listening is such a lost art in our culture today that people will take notice of it. There are some evangelistic misdemeanors that Doug talks about. He kind of puts it in the way of, of driving. Riding with someone in the car is like having a conversation with them. The first evangelistic misdemeanor he talks about is hijacking the conversation. Steering the conversation where it needs to go so that I can achieve my goal. Again, at that point, you are simply a pawn. You are someone I need so that I can check a box. I want to talk about this, and so I'm going to take control of the conversation and force it over there whether you like it or not. We do this regularly because the gospel's good news. It's really important stuff, right? The people need to hear it. And so we go, whether they like it or not, they're going to hear it. And we start to steer the conversation. Doug says this. We have a generation of Christians, including church leaders, Who know how to give a gospel presentation, but are lost when it comes to having spiritual conversations. Most of our clergy, and I can tell you this is true, are comfortable behind the pulpit because they're in control of the conversation. However, many pastors have confessed to me how woefully inadequate they feel when they attempt to have spiritual conversations with those who don't show up on Sundays to hear their sermons. If people aren't coming to us to have spiritual conversations on our terms, we must go to them. And give up our need to control the conversations. My whole ministry changed for the better when I began to seek to understand before I sought to be understood. When he started approaching conversations as going, understanding this person is more important than having them understand me. Hearing their story is even more important than telling them my story because it sets the foundation, it, it creates that, that safe space for us to then truly get to know each other. So let me ask you this question, church. Why are we so afraid to be out of the driver's seat in the conversations with not-yet Christians? Many of us are afraid to just talk and just see where the conversation goes, to, to just let them lead, to let them share their story. We always feel like, but when do I jump in and hit them with Jesus? Like, we feel like, when do I take control? And people ask these questions. But then what do I say to steer the conversation that way? Or it's the way that we think. We're scared to be out of control. Why? What are we so afraid of? They might. In fact, they probably will. They might ask a question that we don't have the answer to. Rejection. How so? Okay. What if they're not interested? What if we have this whole conversation and I don't even get to bring up Jesus? Or I don't even get to share, like, my story? It feels like rejection. It feels like, did I just waste my time? And this is why we're trying to redefine the win, to change the scorecard to go, the point is, did we, ha- did we create space where we could have just real, authentic interactions with people Trusting the Holy Spirit to do his job. We're scared of that. Because what if it never gets there? Did I do a bad job? Are they rejecting me?
1: Right. Any right thing I've ever thought or done or said. like, it's just, like, from him and, right. and then I'm not more valuable now because of this right believer than I was if I had a wrong belief. And right. I know I'm sure I have wrong beliefs now, and he'll work on those, too. You know, like, if, if there's this pressure because my value is based on it, then I can't handle someone
0: else who's outside of what I say yeah. wrong or right or whatever. Yeah, many of us, we feel like we have to, to hijack to take control of the conversation because what if it goes to a place where like, uh-oh, they brought up homosexuality and they're over here and I'm over there and that means I have to like beat them down then, right? And make sure they know they're wrong. And like, we don't know what to do if the conversation goes to one of those unsafe places because most of us, and Kim and I were having this conversation this week and I'm, I'm in this boat, we don't know how to accept people while disagreeing with them. We only not, like, they better know that, like, I that I vote no on that issue. And we, as we were having the conversation, we went, would I rather someone felt accepted and misunderstood me or someone knew exactly where I stood and felt like I shut them down? Which would I choose? And, and it's a scary thing because we've all been there. Oh, I shouldn't say we've all been there. Many of us have been there where we have those conversations where somebody's saying something and we're going... I'm not sure what to say, and so we just kind of keep quiet and we come away going, oh no, do they think I agree with them? And do they? What if instead it was going, do they feel loved and accepted? What if, what if that was kind of the starting point? At some point, we will have that opportunity, and I can, in love, share with them what I believe and all that, but as soon as it comes up, we go, uh oh, I better steer again, because this is one of those danger zones. Instead of going, how do I just let this person know that they are loved and accepted, that I care about them and their thoughts even if I disagree with them? The next evangelistic misdemeanor. We exceed the speed limit. What that means is, I mean, you know in a car, it's 25, you're going 45. Somebody asks a one-pound question and you back up the one-ton dump truck of an answer on them. They're like, yeah, you know, I've been wondering... I don't maybe even really know if God's real. What what do you think? And we launch into everything we've ever heard about God because we like they have to know it and they have to and immediately people go you weren't listening again. You you were asking the question you were answering the question you wanted me to ask, not the one I did ask. They feel unheard, they feel unlistened to because again, we just launched off into our monologue. We have to make sure we're answering the questions that people are actually asking. Less is typically more in these kinds of situations. We've been taught the other way. As soon as the door even cracks a little bit, it's Roman's road time. And we don't stop until we get there. Instead of going, you know, right now they're a little bit curious. Let's just slow down and talk about that. Again, I don't have to control it and force it to go here. The Holy Spirit is real good at leading people. We'll let him do his job. I'm just going to have this conversation with this person in hopes that maybe there will be another conversation tomorrow and the day after and the day after where we can talk more. But I'm going to let this person set the pace because I can't force it on them. The third one, failing to observe the signals. There are three parties in every conversation, every spiritual conversation. There's them, there's me, and there's him. As we have these conversations, we need to have one ear inclined toward the the person we're talking to and one toward the Holy Spirit. The whole time we're sharing, going, Lord, am I supposed to jump in here? Is this where you want me to speak now? Lord, like, how do I respond to that? It's spirit-led listening. I have had a number of, of interactions with people where the weirdest things happen. Somebody says something and it seems like, boy, that's opening the door for me to share the good news with them, and I've had the Holy Spirit say, nope, they're not ready. And I have this little argument in my head going, I'm not supposed to share the gospel with them? No, they're not ready for it. Slow down. And and it sounds like the weirdest thing because we're going, no, as soon as that door's cracked, we're supposed to kick it open, right? Because it's the gospel. But it's this tenderness to the Holy Spirit and going, as I am loving this person and being intentional and listening to them, I'm also going, okay, Lord, where do we go now? How how do you want me to respond to that? How do I love this person, even though we're going into this kind of maybe hairy topic? Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead, following his signals as we're working through with this person. Doug, again, a lot of quotes from this book. He says, the kind of listening I'm advocating is anything but passive. It's a sensitive but assertive quest to truly understand someone else. It requires you to probe and explore and reflect back what you've been hearing so that you truly understand what's been revealed to you. This kind of listening seeks to discover people's stories, to learn what interests them, to understand what turns their crank. After you've demonstrated that you're a safe person, most people will eventually come to share their struggles, their doubts, and even their beliefs and unbeliefs about God. Is this a short process or a long process? Long. What he just described here is not 15 minutes over a cup of coffee. This is a long process that we have to learn. Like, it's not about my pace. So let's slow down. Let's listen. And again, it's this active listening, it's engaging with the person, not just, uh huh, uh huh, waiting for our turn, but engaging with them because we're interested in who they are as a person. We notice them, we want to serve them, and so we listen attentively to what they have to say, to their story, to find out who they are and where they're coming from. What do they really believe? These are what create that space for us to one day be able to share the gospel with them. The fourth uh, way to create space, wondering your way into spiritual conversations. It is incredibly powerful, this phrase right here. I wonder... As someone's sharing with you, to be able to go, man, as you were sharing this with me, I just started thinking, I wonder how I would handle that. How'd you feel when that happened to you? Great questions lead to great thoughts. We need to be asking far more questions than giving answers. There's a time for answers, 100%. But again, as we're putting the spotlight on this person to go, I want to know who you are. Learning to ask them great questions to help them to think deeper about the truth behind it. Here's here's what we believe. Who authored all truth? Sunday school answer here, people. Jesus, okay? Satan never came up with a single truth. The world never figured out a thing God didn't already know about. All truth belongs to Jesus. And so as people are seeking truth, our hope is that they will find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will find me when you seek me, and seek me with all your heart. And so what if we just saw ourselves as someone there to help spark that curiosity? Man, I wonder, what else was going on in your life around that time? I wonder what was happening. I wonder, how did you feel about that on the inside? Man, how did you respond to that? Because I'm thinking, I would have been mad. That would have been a real tough one for me. I wonder, like, how, did you, how did you handle that? And As we begin to help people drill down more deeply to be curious And to wonder themselves, it's creating those opportunities for the Holy Spirit to come in. Here's it. I don't like that word. When I say creating those opportunities, I don't mean like we're helping the Holy Spirit out because he was getting stonewalled until we stepped in. Not that. But we're partnering with him to help this person begin to wonder deeper about things because we believe that as they seek truth, they will find it. And truth is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus understood this, and he was a master of great questions. Read through the Gospels sometimes, and look at the way that Jesus interacted with people. He did a lot of teaching. He had those venues where he was the one speaking, but he asked even more questions of people, helping people to ask those questions of themselves, because he didn't just want to like spoon-feed them an answer. He wanted them to start on this journey of discovery, and so he would teach in these parables, which were like, Tricky things to understand. Why? Because he wanted people then asking questions, going, what? wait, but what did he mean? And I have to spend some time thinking on that. And he was always trying to draw them deeper in. And questions is a great way to do that. Wondering our way into spiritual conversations. Doug says, when we use open-ended questions to tap into what others are concerned about or interested in, our wonder stimulates their wonder and paves the way for spiritual conversations to flow naturally. Effective wondering starts where people are, not where we would like them to be. Wondering in this situation is not using questions to gain control of the situation. Are you noticing a theme? We we naturally tend to find our way back into control of the situation again. What I'm not talking about here is like asking questions to steer people, but somebody says something and just going, I'm interested in that. Tell me more about that. Wondering is not a set of memorized questions to herd people where I want them to go. Because if I ask this question and I ask this question, I know we're getting to the Romans road after that. Again, people feel manipulated, the walls go up. I'm wondering aloud. I'm asking these questions because I want to know more about them. I want to hear their story more. I want to understand more. And knowing the more they feel understood, the more they'll let me in and I can begin to share with them my story. Wondering is not a springboard to launch into my monologue. Again, just looking for that cracked door so that I can get through my spiel. I wonder because I want to know more about them. Does this make sense, church? So let me ask you this question. How do we learn to ask great questions? I I think this is one of those pivotal points in having spiritual conversations with people. The better we get at asking questions the more we'll see the walls coming down. So how do we learn to ask great questions? I can give you a list of good ones to like spark your memory, but again, if it just becomes going through the cue cards, we're done. How do we learn to just be good question askers? Yeah. Some of it just happens very naturally simply because I'm actively listening. As I listen to you, I actually become really interested in your story and I want to know what happens next or whoa, 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 what? you mentioned this. Like, What was that about? Like, Simply because I'm listening, again, my heart almost becomes, I, I begin to notice things that I wouldn't normally notice and some of these questions begin to happen naturally. You ever been talking with somebody and like about something more serious and you ask a question and you step back and went, whoa, that was a good one. I didn't have that one in my back pocket. Right? Like, where did that come from? I was simply interested in them, and the good questions just start to come. Two
1: things that have helped me. One is hanging out with kids,
0: because they're naturally great question-askers. Like, they are always asking questions. They are. Children are always asking questions. But it really does. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and even recognizing, like, when a kid's, you know, like, whether it's, like, on you know, games or coaching or whatever, just saying, that's a great question. Like, I'll point them out, right? So maybe
0: if yeah. you hang out with adults
1: and ask good questions, I don't Mine are usually kids? I'm like, that's a great question. Right. Sometimes it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but it's a great question. So, like, hanging out with kids and noticing. The other thing is I have to be off my screen because I, like, like mm-hmm. our phones, like, numb our curiosity. Like, they... get something right there. Yeah. And if I'm always like, oh I have a minute, I'm gonna sit on my screen, like I'm not gonna wonder about anything or even notice probably stuff. So like right. so I just have to like maybe let myself be bored or have quiet or like look around and you know, consider flowers and birds instead of just like what's constantly changing on my screen. Sure. Like, that might seem more entertaining or more comfortable. Yeah. Don't have but those are the two that have me, is I just, like, have to just
0: really be intentional with the of time I'm on the device. Okay. Yeah. Are we nurturing our own curiosity, or are we just mind-numbing, like many of us do? The next thing, Netflix, what's next? Like, the fact that Netflix has a, what is it, just surprise me thing, where it can just play anything it wants for you, and, like, people are actually picking that. I'm like, we're that bored? You know, are we actually feeding our own curiosity? I have a quote on my wall by um, Michael Hyatt. Uh, and it says, let your curiosity pull you along. That's what it's there for. Many of us have put our curiosity to death. We've gone, nope, just entertain me. That's all I want. We don't even ask questions anymore ourselves. We don't, we don't wonder anymore. I wonder how they did that. I wonder how that was made. I wonder what, that, I wonder what the story is there. We've kind of killed that in ourselves. So are, are we doing anything to nurture our own curiosity and then the other thing she said is we have to be present with people. You will never get into a spiritual conversation while staring at your screen. We actually have to regain the art of looking someone in the eye and, and continuing to look someone in the eye and actually listen to what they have to say. And, they can all borrow any of our and if you want good questions, Maverick is for sale. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but when you said curiosity, okay, maybe it's not noisy, maybe it's just curious. Right. Anyway, um, but I was going to say to you that what this whole series that you're doing is extremely painful for me because I feel like as a young Christian, Sure. Right. No, I'm, I have a very similar story myself. Uh, one of the last chapters, I don't know if we'll get to talk about this here, but one of the last chapters in this book is how do you rebuild burnt bridges? Um, because he recognizes as we read through this, most of us are going to find something where we go, oh, no. I do that all the time. Or, man, I used to do that. And going, now what? How do we begin to rebuild some of that? And so you're not alone in that. How else? How do we learn to ask great questions? I think, um, you gotta you've got you to be learning. Yeah. I think kids love to learn. That's why they ask right. questions. So we've got to go in that conversation that we aren't teaching. We're learning. Right. So when you
1: do that 180, yeah. that leads to good questions. Yeah.
0: So just put that teacher thing on the back burner, and it'll come later. Right. Yeah, As long as I've got my script, I've got to get to, right. Yeah, almost like we should have faith, like little children, I think is what he, like, yeah, no, it's exactly that. Kids are naturally curious, and we need to cultivate that in ourselves. Two things that that I will say on this, find someone that's a great listener in your life and ask them about it. Man, you ask the best questions, like, how do you do that? Like, they're aware of it. They, they've cultivated this listening. It may be more naturally for their personality than it is for you, something like that. But ask them. I want to learn to ask good questions, and you ask great ones. Every time we talk, I just feel like you're, like you're locked in, and you really listen to me. Like, Help me with that. How do you do that? Like, It's called discipleship. Would you teach me to be able to listen and ask questions like you do, and to walk with them in that, to imitate them, in the, in the things that are helpful, the things that make you feel listened to and valued, how do I then pass that along and do that for this person? And the second thing I would say is read through the Gospels. Again, Jesus was a master of this. Oftentimes what we do though is we read through the Gospels and we go, where's the theological point that I need to draw out of what Jesus taught, which is valid and it's there. But sometimes to take a step back and go, what would it have been like to be there? We've talked about this in the past. When Jesus asked them that question... How would it have felt? Like if I was there and Jesus asked me that question, I probably would have been kind of stumped by it. I would have gone, I didn't see that question coming. Uh, You know, or whatever it may have been. And start to look at the way that Jesus interacted with people, the questions that he asked. They were never yes or no questions. Yes or no questions are too easy to move past. They were open-ended, and they were always digging a little deeper. They were always, it was kind of the question behind the question. Instead of going, why would you do that? How did you feel when that happened? You know, those kinds of things. He was a master at it. So read through the Gospels. And again, not just to get theological information out of it, but to go, like, what would it have been like when Jesus asked that question? What did he see that caused him to ask that question? And you'll be amazed at what you learned.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, Brandy asks lots of questions, and he knows what his question is, and he asks it. Xander, like, has no idea what he's thinking and feeling at any given moment. So it's like you have to, like, leave the room and the situation right. to, like, be more intent with talking about his feelings so that he can answer the question that you're, you know what I mean, like, trying to ask him. like Right.
0: because it's not going to work for you with Xander to go, let me tell you what you're feeling right now. He's going to be like, what? But what you want to do because you love him and you care for him is to help him discover how he's feeling. Self-discovery is always king. It's not there just for me to tell someone the answer. I want to walk with them as they discover the answer that is in Jesus. And yes, there's going to be times when I have the opportunity to go, man, have you ever thought about this? Or man, let me tell you this this story in my life. There's going to be opportunities for that. But I'm not just here to spoon-feed answers. That doesn't work. It's not what Jesus did. I'm here to walk with people as they discover the truth for themselves. Adam, was that a hand up? Yeah.
1: validating by asking the questions, and so I kind of have to take a step back and go, wait a minute, you're trying to... revealed that they
0: got to hear about grace and mercy, which they addressed
1: right So that that was interesting. And then again walking away from it going,
0: well, that wasn't the, the you know, the Billy Graham, you know it's not how I would have drawn it up. right Exactly. Yeah, it's what we, one of the things we talked about last week. Is they better see something different in our lives that matches up with the care we're showing for them, and then when we start talking about the good news, letting our letting our light shine before men, it better match up with how we live. Otherwise, we again cut the legs out from underneath it. So, go ahead. In this church, it was like 20, 25 minutes where you're supposed was, to start, yeah, to just but yeah. Like, well, we start 10 minutes late, because like, then like the people that came, so we'd
1: always do the like, would you rather? Just random, pointless, curious, like there's no point to the question. And I, I mean everyone make answer. I don't want to do either of those. You've got to pick one. I'm not going to do it to you. I'm not going to make you wrestle a shark or a bear. You just have to tell me, would you rather wrestle a shark or a bear? Like, pick one. We're not going to do it.
0: Like, that's the part two. No, I'm also not suggesting you force everyone to answer well, your we questions, but years. Years. we were in charge. But no, no, no. No, but like things right. like that right. or like at around our table. Yeah, time. practice being curious, I'll even do. just about silly things. Yeah, i Steve? I just want to say, um,
1: I hate to use the word trip, but something that can be done to just take a very
0: simple, non nondescript question and turn it into a great question is if you can remember a previous conversation yes. or a previous event and something as simple as, so, Adam, how was your trip visiting your family? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, wait, he remembered. He was actually listening. Right. You just, a simple question becomes a great question. Yeah. Right. That's a great point. That's a great thought. So let me ask this last question. What do we do when we find ourselves in a spiritual conversation, and this has already been brought up a little bit, and they ask us something we don't know the answer to? Or they get into one of those kind of hairy things where we're like, ah, I don't know what to say here. What's politically correct? or What, like, what do we do? When we get into those, because again, we've taken our hands off the wheel, we're not driving, we're not avoiding anything we don't know the answer to, we're going to get, we're going to find ourselves in situations where people say something that we just don't know the answer to, or we don't know the right way to answer. What do we do in those situations? Run away? <laughs> okay. So just just saying, hey, you know what, like, I know that God's word has the truth for this, and... I need to spend some time researching. I need to see what his word has to say about that because here's a very important phrase because I don't know. 100%. Right. The, the best way I've, I've heard of, of sharing the gospel with someone, one beggar trying to show another beggar where to find some bread. I'm not better than you. I don't have all of the answers. I, I hope to share with you what I do know, what I, where I have found hope. But even just telling people, that's a great question. I, I don't know. It, it is amazing how disarming it is for someone to hear us say, I don't know. That's a great question. Like, that, that is a really powerful, when I say tool, again, it's not like Steve was saying. I don't want to say like trick. It's not a tool like we played that card on them. But it reveals to people that like, man, I'm on this journey too. I'm still trying to figure some things out. Again, I'm not saying I, I know all the answers. Here's what I do know, and I hope to be able to share that with you. But yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. What else? Do you know what I don't know also does? Kind of tying back into what Steve said and what Linda was saying. I don't know. I'm going to look into that, and, and next week I'd love to tell you what I've found, and we get to come up to them next Tuesday. And go, hey, so last week we were having that conversation. You asked this question. I just want to share with you what I've found so far. And we get to, it's almost a guaranteed second conversation with someone because we chose not to either make it up on the spot or fake it to look good. But just being honest, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to look it up and we'll talk next week. It's, a, it's such a powerful tool. What else? What do we do? They brought up that topic that we're not allowed to bring up. They told us they vote this way and we vote that way. They told, and, you're, and you're at that spot of going, uh, I don't know how to respond. What do we do? I think the article in I don't know, which is what I do, is say, What you think? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd love to hear more on your thoughts on that. I'm still trying to figure that one out myself. You know, can you tell me more. How'd you get to where, how'd you get to, you know, to know what you know or to understand what you understand and just invite more conversation from them? Listen, you will feel out of control, and that's not a bad thing. Again, my goal when I come into this is going, does this person feel loved and accepted as they are not does this person fully understand every the nuance of all of my beliefs. Because in order to chase that, I have to kind of step on them. But instead of going, I want them to feel loved and accepted because I want to have another conversation with them. And that may mean that I'm misunderstood for now, and that's okay. Jesus went most of his ministry being misunderstood. When he said he's the Messiah, they all thought this over here, and he didn't go, everybody sit down. <sighs> He was like, there'll be time for that. They'll get that. That's okay. Just keep coming. This is how we need to approach it as well. To not have an answer is not the end of the conversation. It does not mean that you have failed. It actually leads to more conversations going forward and can become a beautiful thing for people to see your own humility. Man, that's actually a super tough one. I'm not sure. I got some friends that I talk with about stuff like this. I'm going to talk with them. And I'll let you know what we come up with. You know, like, that's a really powerful thing. The point is to create that safe place, not by the count of five, hit them with the gospel. Do they feel safe in having these conversations? Can we wonder together about these things? Not can, As Shelton was saying, not can I teach them? Man, I'm on this journey too, and I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. That is a beautiful thing. We want to create that safe place knowing that once their guard is down, there is room for the Holy Spirit to work and to draw them in, for them to see truth like maybe they haven't seen it before. And it's our job to simply walk with them into that. Does that make sense, church? Do you see the difference in approaches? Okay, let me pray, and we're going to come back and finish up on this book next week. Lord Jesus, I pray that even this week, Um, Lord, whether it's as we pray for our three or um, as we wake up in the morning and, and just pray for our day. That we would notice the people that you have placed in our path. That we would learn to see them the way that you see them. To care for them the way that you care for them. To come along and to serve. To listen to their stories. To ask them great questions. Not because, again, I'm, I'm waiting to spring it on them, but because I love them and I want to know them more. Because I want to I know them and I, I want them to know my best friend, Jesus. And so how do I create some space for the two to meet? Lord, it, there's going to be all kinds of remnants of the ways that we've been taught to present the gospel. And there's some really good stuff in there. We don't need to throw it all out. But would you teach us how to walk this new path? And Lord, at times we're going to feel misunderstood. We're going to feel out of control. We're going to feel like, oh, I should know the answer to that, but I don't. Lord, may we have grace with ourselves in those times. Because it's not about me. It is about trying to create that space for that person to see you clearly. May you keep that fresh in our minds, God. May we notice the people that you have put in our path. And may we love them well, just as you do. May they see our good works, and may they praise our Father who is in heaven. We trust your truth, God. You say that that's how things work, and so we trust it. May we be good neighbors. May we invite people in. May we have great conversations with people, trusting that as they see our light, they will praise our Father that's in heaven. So just be glorified in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.